Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode, change is gonna come. The Gateway is excited to welcome Emma Roloff, a widely recognized digital transformation and change management expert. Emma helps insurers move through core transformations with the team at EIS and is the host of the YouTube series Leading Change and the co-host of the LinkedIn Live series The Third Thursday. Over the last few years, Emma has conducted over 150 expert interviews in the space of digital transformation and innovation. Emma has been recognized as the AI Journal's Young Tech Leader of the Year, a Rise 35 Under 35 award winner, and named in Lydico's Insurance Innovators Top 100. Emma, welcome to the Gateway. We're excited to have you. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. Awesome, awesome. So I always like to start right at the beginning and, and kind of figure out where you're coming from, how you got to, to be where you're at in, in your role of change management and all of that good stuff. Where, where are you coming from? Yeah, so I have a little bit of a unique journey in terms of getting involved in the digital transformation change management space. Um, I actually started as a teacher. So I, I have a secondary education degree for social studies and I could, you know, I still threatened that I might end up in a sixth grade class somewhere teaching history. <laughs> but I, um, so I started as a teacher and then was given an opportunity to move into the corporate training world after that and kind of cut my teeth in business and thought to myself, you know what, I kind of like this. And um, through a lot of poking and prodding on my um, family's part, my husband and his, his family are um, all in the business world and um, a lot of them are tied to the world of sales. They encouraged me to kind of take a move into the world of sales, which led me to um, my first position in the world of transformation, focused on helping companies really manage their processes and their content more effectively. Um, and I sat in that role for about eight years, helping across the board with a bunch of different types of businesses. So everything from commercial manufacturing to biotech to insurance, and then just recently made a move towards helping um, insurance carriers transform their core processes within their organization. I kind of caught that insurance bug specifically over the last couple of years. Wow, that's that's absolutely amazing, and and I love I love hearing those those terms transformation, change, all of that stuff. In, in your in your experience, then when you're being brought on, when you're coming into a new company or organization, what's kind of your general process? Do you do you have kind of a strategy of like let's analyze where we're at and where we want to be, or or how do you kind of generally get get into doing what you what you want to do to to help the company? I guess. Yeah, so I think I have a little bit of, you know, we, we've talked about this idea of change management and, and technology and digital transformation. 
technically I work for a software company. And so my goal is to help find a way that our tools can solve our customers' problems. But to do that, I'm really passionate in um, people-driven change and understanding what are the challenges that whether it's your employees or your customers are running into on a regular basis? What are the things that are standing in your way of giving your customers a really great experience? And just trying to kind of understand what are those main business drivers that we are looking to facilitate with technology? So just as you said, it's kind of starting with where are we today? What are the things that we don't like about the way that you are completing your process today? Let's talk through those and really kind of get to the root cause of what those challenges are, and then work backwards from those challenges towards what that solution is going to be. And sometimes that's my solutions, and sometimes that's connecting people with other folks in my network that maybe have a different tool that's more well-suited to, to solving their problem. Um, but I am fortunate enough where I, I sell solution platforms that have a lot of capabilities. So more often than not, we're able to work with our customers to figure out how we're going to use technology to kind of enable customer centricity and enabling their employees to be more efficient in the, the long run. So, Emma, I, I think when when I hear all of that stuff, I, I hear that where you're integrating technology with, with that, that human element. And, and really, at the end of the day, I, I, business comes down to humans. Um, traditionally, at least in my experience, humans don't uh, really love change. So is it fair to say that at times you're kind of the face of change? Does that is that a, a, a good characterization? And then does that cause problems for you? Or am I completely off base? No, so you're right. I think um, I actually saw someone make a post today that on LinkedIn that people aren't necessarily afraid of change, but we're afraid of what the outcome of the change is going to be and uh -huh. the uncertainty that comes along with any sort of shift. Right. And um, you are spot on that sometimes that uncertainty, especially when you're looking at like wide scale transformations within large companies starts to show in kind of weird ways. And uh, it was probably, it was just before COVID that I had my first like really lived aha moment of how critical change management really is to the process. Um, I had always felt pretty passionate about the people side and pretty passionate about like bringing people along on the journey of change and making sure that they feel as comfortable as they can through that process. But I had a project where um, we were struggling with that idea of finding um, a win-win for everybody and making sure that everybody felt comfortable with the change and why we were changing what we were. And I kind of have felt like we were off base, but we were already in the midst of the project and we had, you know, kicked off with 30 some people in the room. And I felt like we were making pretty good progress in terms of driving towards that like end goal that their executive team had communicated with us. Um, and then one day I got a call that was like, our executive sponsor said they're done trying to manage this change and we're gonna pull the plug on the project. Wow. And it was like, wait, hold on, because you guys have spent a lot of money on this. <laughs> and mm -hmm. like, I, I mean, I, is there anything we can do to work through this? And it was like, well, we're just not, you know, it's not a priority for us to try and get like that level of comfort with the change. So we're just going to kind of keep going with what we're doing today. And that was my first time where I saw like literally an entire project be derailed, you know, 
tens of thousands of dollars thrown out the door um, on towards a mission strictly because it was too much work to get a consensus and get people comfortable with the change. And I, that's when I really started to kind of pay attention much, much more acutely to the people side of change and how do we get people involved in a process and how do you get people to feel comfortable with that? And I think you, you mentioned the idea of being the face of that change. That was part of the catalyst for why I started getting more, um, forward facing on social media, whether it be LinkedIn or YouTube or TikTok and talking about these ideas, because I think a lot of times we get so distracted by the digital side of transformation Mm -hmm. that we don't focus enough on that people side. And even small reminders here or there of the fact that we should be people focused, that it should be customer or employee centric that we're, you know, goals that we're driving towards when we're doing these big implementations people will get pulled to what is our ROI or what are the Mm -hmm. new tools that we're using or how many hours can we cut out of this process, which of course is important, but you're not going to get to any of those benefits or any of that like great side of digital transformation if your team won't use the tools in the first place. And so I really have now over the last couple of years, probably become the face of people-driven change pretty (laughs) acutely, at least in my little corner of LinkedIn and the internet, Mm -hmm. because I am so passionate about that being a part of it. Um, And I would say it's actually speaking out about that has helped me because it makes people realize that and they know what to expect when they're working with me. So it's not a big shock when I walk in the door then. Right. So, so Emma, this, this is the, and Biagio, I'm going to let you jump in. I just really yeah, yeah. want to, I, I, this is the main reason why I, I was so excited to talk with you, Emma, is because a lot of people, at least within the, the tech industry, I think come from a place of almost all knowing and all solving ability. We have this technology, it works, it's amazing, you're going to want it, and everyone can buy into it. And far too often the the softer skills the more relationship based things fall off and i'm i could pick that up right away that y- you saw that and i i think for me it, it allows a lot more people to get into the tech space uh more than ever before because some of those softer skills that might have been left behind are now becoming uh, more important it do you think we're going to see um, more people of a wider background being utilized in uh, change management and digital transformation? Or do you think it's still going to kind of stay in its own little silo? And then Biagio, it's all yours. I apologize. No, it's- <laughs> I do think that um, just by the nature of progress, more and more people are going to have to get pulled into what, you know, we think of as the future of work or transformed work. Um, Any time in human civilization where we've relied on technology, whether we think of it the traditional way that we do today with computers or farming equipment or manufacturing equipment that has allowed humans to become more effective, the way that humans work with these tools changes and shifts over time. Mm -hmm. And through these technologies coming into an organization, the ultimate goal shouldn't be to remove people. It should be to change the role of the people within our organizations. And ultimately, I think those soft skills are going to become even more important than they've been in the past, because those are the things that are difficult for us to replicate with technology today. Now, yes, we can make the argument that like AI can make music and art and like all of the things that we're starting to see 
um, computers be able to do. But at the end of the day, when you have, you know, let's use the, the current example of somebody who, you know, unfortunately had a loss because of the hurricane down in Florida right now, they don't want to pick up the phone and dial on a keypad through a conversational AI design to hopefully maybe get them where they need to go to talk to someone about their claim. They want to pick up the phone and they want to talk to somebody that's using technology to have all of the information that they need at their fingertips so that they can answer their questions, that they can give them empathy, and they can help them feel confident that their insurance company is going to be there to help them move through the process of getting their claim filed and, and paid out. Those innately human things that are a part of our process rely so much on soft skills that those soft skills are going to become more and more important as we continue to automate processes more down the line. I mean, Ross, I, I actually, the, the, what you said was kind of going in the direction I wanted to go because um, coming from pretty much an MBA in Italy, I didn't have a clue what the information system are. And, and one of the first classes I took about the information system was, was, I mean, I thought it was like, you know, coding and, you know, technology, that's all that we do when we care. But then one of the first classes I took, it was like, there are four components of an information system and they are like structure, people, process, and technology. So technology is only one of those four components, but all of them work together to make an information system work. And I'm pretty sure the same thing happens when you try to make a digital change to a company, right? So if you if you make changes to one, one component that you ignore, what is going to happen to all the other components? Well, you're going to run in situation where you're not happy with the results. The results are not what you were expecting, or you're going to get negative results. And, you know, as Emma was saying, thousands of dollars sometimes will be uh, wasted. And human nature know, you know, the power of technology nowadays. So they sometimes they just think about, okay, let's buy a new technology and that's will fix the issue, right? But that that's only one component to make everything work. So I'm, I'm glad there are people like Emma that, that kind of open up and say, okay, okay, the technology might be cool, but then how people are gonna start using it, how that will affect the process they, they were there in place, how does that change the structure of the company and how we operate? And if they don't go together, I mean, I, I don't see it to be successful. So, uh, I mean, I was just wanted to reemphasize that. And, and open up for discussion. Well, that that idea of people, process, and technology is something that I talk a lot about. And that really, ultimately, if you have the right tools at your disposal, because you do have to have the right kind of technology. If you are using tools that are 15, 10 years old, you're not getting the full benefit of what you can from technology. So I don't want anybody to misunderstand me when I say that that should come last. Mm -hmm. But we should be looking at who are the people that are engaging with this process? And from there, then deciding what does the process look like when we have new technology at our disposal and how can we enable those people to be more effective? And then once we have that idea of how we can enable those people to be more effective, then we bring in the technology. And that is the easy part after the fact, because we've been able to look at that process, how people are engaging with it and design a better future state that's strictly just being enabled by those tools in the background. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. It's just like buying the newest software, but then do not train the people to use it. They, they're, gonna, they're not gonna use it effectively 
and it's gonna actually be less efficient than the probably the previous one where they, they were used to. And so they would even have more concern of, about changing the software, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely an important point and people cannot underestimate that. But of course, technology can change and disrupt businesses. So I, I wasn't trying to say that either. <laughs> uh, I so so as we're looking at all these things and, and I love absolutely everything you're you're both saying with this stuff Emma for you as as that person that a lot of times brings the change how do you um <laughs> manage change for yourself like I, I feel like you're on the front line you're you're sitting there you're for lack of a better metaphor right now you're facing the winds of the hurricane first before people even know what's happening how do you um find that balance and and I, I don't know I I just feel like that could get very um almost confusing if, if I'm using my my words correctly yeah well I think um so part of it is I I enjoy this industry. And <laughs> That's a good I, way. <laughs> um, and, and I think honestly, it goes back to, you know, I've, I mentioned I was a teacher and a lot of people um, growing up would tell me things like, oh, you're really good at public speaking or like you're good with kids, but now I have my own kids. So, so that kind of fills that void for me. But, um, or you, you know, you can tell that you really are passionate about learning and you enjoy learning. Well, being in the space of emerging technology and transformation, that like thirst for knowledge and understanding is something that serves me really well. Um, I don't want to pretend that I like, there's plenty of people and don't get, and on the internet, there's plenty of people that will tell me I don't know everything <laughs> as everybody <laughs> else knows. Um, but I am very fascinated with learning about technology and how these new tools and these new trends potentially have the ability to, to influence how we're shaping the future of work. And I'm also um, really fascinated from a people side, because again, I mentioned I'm a social studies teacher. So like I wanted to teach political science or psychology. So like sociologically and, um, you know, from a psychology standpoint, it's really fascinating to me to understand how do we respond to these changes? And then also just like the ethical side of everything mm -hmm. that's changing and how we use these these tools, it's really fascinating to me. So from that standpoint, I am constantly learning. I'm listening to podcasts or reading books. My husband is a big technology guy. We're talking about a lot of these ideas on a regular basis. So I think that that from like the change management perspective for me as an individual and kind of knowing what's coming and learning about that, it's just strictly something I really enjoy. But that idea of kind of lifelong learning and, and mm -hmm. shifting and moving, I think is going to be also something that's really important for, for anybody um, going forward with their career, whether it's learning how to use a new system or learning a new skill or learning how to be effective in a new industry, that like kind of thirst for knowledge and, and learning is really, really important for being successful in kind of what the future of work is going to look like. Yeah. That that you're you're speaking our language here right now, Emma. So so <laughs> this is, you're just confirming absolutely everything that I was I was thinking you were going to talk about. So I, I'm I'm loving everything with this. Uh, but I do want to touch on the the ethical side of that stuff. What what are your when when that that seemed very interesting to me, and and you brought that up. What are some of the more ethical elements to where we're heading that that you're at least contemplating right now? 
Yeah, well, I think when we look at the use of artificial intelligence, there is a lot of groundwork being done right now um, that has the potential to shape our culture and our, our future society pretty substantially. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, from AI has so many different subsets to it um, that I'm not, you know, from, from the standpoint of everybody listening, it, there's, you know, the artificial intelligence as it stands itself is kind of the category of technology that mimics human thought. But then within that, there's different levels of it. So there's things like computer vision, which gives computers or, you know, like cameras that are enabled by AI, the ability to spot and recognize patterns and see things the same way that a human eye would. Or there's speech technology that lets you talk to your Alexa or Siri or whoever else. I need to be careful so I don't have things starting to listen and chime in (laughs) in our conversation. Um, But there, and then there are conversational AIs where we're able to um, design, like I mentioned, for whether it's a chatbot or a phone conversation that you're having with someone that's not an actual physical human on the other end. So there's a lot of these different subsets. And they, right now, we're at the point where um, we're very ad hoc in how we're using these tools, mm. but so, you know, a company who wants to set up a, a chat bot and have a conversational design to be able to answer some of your questions. I did a um, live stream the other day with some folks that are more in depth in this area. And they were talking about that. There are brands who are working on creating a complete persona that you would interact with mm-hmm. on behalf of their company but never actually interact with a customer service person on the other end because they have their conversational AI and they're building out all of these things to make it so that you just call. And every time you call, you talk to this persona that the company has built, as opposed to talking to a real person to help you solve your problems. Um, That same technology and, and some of the other components are being used by companies to you know, take a picture of a loved one who's passed away and you, you train the engine so that it can like animate that photo and allow you to have a conversation with someone that you've lost, but you're no longer interacting with that person. You're interacting with a replication that's been trained to interact with you as that person would. Um, so like those types of things, those, I don't think necessarily get into like ethical dilemmas, the same Mm -hmm. way that some of the other things of like, okay, So what happens if computer vision is used to identify and track people everywhere they go Mm -hmm. and suddenly the government has the ability to know everywhere that you are at all times, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And um, then maybe that's linked to digital currencies that are you know, depending on which currency you want to go to when we talk about cryptocurrencies, if it's not decentralized and it's tied to a government entity, they can track you and turn off your money if they see you with their cameras, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. all of those things, it's that big brother mentality, I think is the underlying idea behind some of those ethical considerations that as a society, we need to be stopping and asking ourselves. So there's that big brother side of it, but then there's also the inherent bias that comes with how AI is, is developed and, Um, There's numerous use cases that have been kind of like popped up or that have popped up that um, show that, you know, the developers that are building the AI algorithms will 
put in bias without realizing that they're doing it. So when you start to use AI to drive these decisions that maybe were driven by people in the past, and there's this implicit bias in the algorithm itself, how do we get away from some of those things impacting the way that decisions are made in our society moving forward? So I, you know, there, there's a lot of different avenues that you can kind of go down from that ethical standpoint. Um, but right now, because these technologies are really in their infancy, how we're starting to use them and some of the decisions that we make today probably have pretty wide reaching ramifications when we look 20, 30 years out into the future, if we're not having those conversations right now. Yeah. All right. I'm on that. There was a lot there that I, in a great way. And, and I'm, I'm happy that, um, people like yourself are, are asking those questions. Cause again, like you said, we just kind of move forward. And then next thing you know, we're a hundred miles down the road and we don't even know what's happening, but we keep kind of using it and hope we can fix it later. And, and I do agree with you that asking, at least having these conversations are, are there. Um, in your opinion, and, and truly just your opinion within this stuff, as AI, as chatbots, as these personas that are computer generated uh, become more real, do you think we're that companies are going to need to, um, or they have an obligation to let us know that it is a computer and artificial intelligence again just your opinion like if they make it so good that i don't know that i'm talking to a, a bot or a computer should we know that should we be informed of that as a cons uh, as a consumer that's a that's a very interesting question um Right now, where our technology stands, I am a big believer that automate where you want to, but always have an opportunity for a human to opt out of it, mm. which like we've all been in the scenario where you like call and you keep hitting zero thinking you're going to get an operator and you're just like <laughs> pissed off and yelling at the phone like, please, I just want to talk to a person because you're not going to know what my unique situation is. Right. If we get to the point where the technology that we're interacting with is so sophisticated that you don't ever have that need to opt out of interacting with the technology. I don't know if there's a ton of harm in mm -hmm. not explicitly being told that it is technology that's driving for you. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know how close we are to that. And I also don't know how much we need to explicitly tell someone they're interacting with technology versus most people being able to recognize that at this right. point. Because if you call your bank and every time you call your bank, it's the exact same experience and the exact same persona, you're going to recognize that you're not just talking to the same customer service rep every time. Right. Um, but again, if you have no way to opt out of that situation and no way to interact with a human, um, that that tool better be pretty sophisticated for us to get to that point before I'm not allowed to like have some way to opt out. Right, right. Okay, all right. I think, I think Russ, like this is a kind of an important point and, and there are like some some people that work with AI that are thinking about like concept like hybrid intelligence or uh, the idea that, you know, the, the AI can do the stuff that the human cannot do or like be there 24 seven or automate and scale processes uh, but at the same time like there is always uh, kind of like a human that is there to to verify that the decision they are making are 
uh, are not harmful. And and with the chatbot is, I mean, I, I get it with the phone calls, like you, you get if there is a human on the other side at one point, but with the chatbot, some of them are getting good to the point where like, I'm confused. Like, I don't know if, if there is a human or, or, <laughs> yeah. or, or a machine doing it, right? So, so then depending on the chat type, type of chat, because right now there are chatbots, even they do like, uh, they are therapies for you, right? Uh, you don't know at what point the, the suggestion that the chatbot is giving to you is is uh, is it can be detrimental to you. And I took some research on this, and it is one of the uh, big concern that I have. Right? We we rely on this machine sometimes, and but in the end, it, sometimes they they might miss some of the feelings that you might have because they don't feel the same way that we do. Right? So it's okay. it's it's kind of tricky. And, uh, and interesting uh, at the same time. But I, I agree with Emma, it's like, it's kind of like, <laughs> uh, there are some people asking those questions for sure, even in the academic world, but academic world tends to be a little bit late compared to professional. So I am worried that, you know, people are gonna use tool and then, then figure it out that that's not what they were thinking they were doing, so. Well, there was a couple of months ago, I was at a conference and they were talking for insurance specifically. And um, someone from JD Power was there kind of sharing some research insights and stuff that they had talked about. And he actually showed that um, consumers are less concerned about the feeling of empathy when they call in for something. Um, because one, probably because we're starting to get a little desensitized from technology and we just want someone to like help us solve our problem. Mm -hmm. But also because the perception is that sometimes the people that are working in those positions are providing fake empathy. Yep. And that's a really interesting concept to me because oh, yeah. that, that idea of hybrid intelligence that you just brought up, if we do a good job with our technology and making sure that those call center folks have everything that they need at their fingertips, it won't be fake empathy when they're talking to you because they're going to be able to focus on the conversation and what's happening in front of them instead of trying to find your record or look up your policy number or mm -hmm. understand what form you're calling to ask a question about. So when we can combine technology and make like the the actual physical like work part of what someone is doing easier, it won't feel like fake because they'll be able to be more engaged in that conversation. And I'm curious to see how some of the, the use of technology might shift some of that and give us some of that humanity back in our interactions with one another. And what you say is really, really interesting because like empathy was one of the major components of like service quality. So if people are starting to like, do not care about it, it's like, we, we're really getting like technology, they're becoming more like robot, right? <laughs> Before we care a lot about this, but, but now it's changing. Right, so, so from, from my experience for where I'm at, I have, completely switched on my own perspective in a customer experience role like as a consumer I would much rather have someone who's short with me and just to the point but knows like what's going on they're giving me the correct information mm -hmm. I have it I'm done there's not nothing to it I don't need you to talk about my day if you're going to get me what I need done yeah. where sometimes now I I kind of <laughs> assume maybe incorrectly or in a jaded way that when you're talking to me about that stuff and you're trying to empathize with me I'm like do you even know what you're doing like give me the I need I need help right like I have that stuff so I I'm I'm glad that maybe I'm 
I'm not the only one that sometimes feels that way. <laughs> um, but now, Emma, within that stuff, as we as we shift and we go here and, and kind of taking a, a Luddite kind of perspective from this one and and being someone that that might uh, be a little bit more resistant to change and all of that stuff. Um, I, very quickly, when you're scrolling through the Internet or you're you're hearing just general conversations, uh, you, you start to hear people kind of um talk about the the good old days of having to you know make a phone call or going in and talking to someone and sitting down and doing all of that stuff and and when I hear that I, I kind of like chuckle and laugh and say well th those days are gone but as as humans as a society are we are we missing that and are are we potentially losing something um that might become more important or even need to be cycled back into our technical transformations or or do you think we just got to kind of adapt as as humans to our new our new world I think I maybe have a little bit of an unpopular opinion in this. Ooh, I'm, I'm so excited for this, Emma. <laughs> um, and it probably is shaped by the fact that I am the quintessential extrovert. Um, but I do think that right now we're operating still in flux. So we use terms like the new normal and people talk about the fact that hybrid and remote work are here to stay. I do think that they're here to stay, but I think it's going to look really different two to five years from now mm. because we're still figuring out what works and what doesn't. And while some people are 100% more effective working from home, being remote, using their computers and not interacting with people on a regular basis, I think that there's a lot of bigger social implications that come from that. And I think that there's a lot of bigger health implications that come to that, whether it's mental health or physical health of people. And I don't think that we're done finding that balance as a society right now. And um, I work remote and I am very, very fortunate to have the ability to work from anywhere with my previous company and my role now. So even prior to COVID and everything else, I have the ability to be a hybrid employee. Mm -hmm. But because of that like introvert or the extroverted side of me, I've always struggled with being remote and not having people around me and having that, that interaction. Um, there are some things that we can reproduce remotely. Like right now we're having a really great conversation and maybe five years ago, I wouldn't have thought that we could do this remotely the same way that we are. And um, right. maybe I wouldn't have, you know, there, there's lots of things that my mind was opened up and expanded to be like, oh no, you can do that kind of thing remotely. But there are also times where it's incredibly powerful for people to be in a room with one another. And um, there is something to be said about the level of collaboration and also just like remembering that everyone you're interacting with is a human. And um, I think we're missing some of that right now with this big push to be remote. And I think that there's going to have to be a happy medium that comes around. And obviously that's kind of what the idea behind hybrid is. Um, but, you know, I am coming off of, um, I sp spent last week at a large insure tech conference in Las Vegas with like 10,000 people <laughs> and um, coming off of that, the amount of conversations that I had with people 
who maybe aren't even as extroverted as I am, but we're like, oh man, I miss this. It's mm-hmm. so nice to be in person with people um, or like, oh my gosh, like you're so much taller than I thought you were going to be, <laughs> or, you know, you're so much short. You just like all of those things that like make us innately human and make up who we are. There's big parts of that, that, that are missing when you're completely remote. Um, so I, I think we're still finding our balance and finding our groove and maybe to the dismay of some people that I think that we're going to come back closer not exactly where we were pre-pandemic, but come closer to where we were during the the like uh, before the pandemic when we find that balance. Um, because I just I don't think that what we're doing today is like sustainable at a mm-hmm. forever clip. Yeah, Russ, if if I can jump on this, I think I think this conversation is is bringing to my mind a couple of thoughts, and uh, I mean the first one is like, of course, for for your job, Emma, like the pandemic, uh, I think forced many companies, even like small, medium ones, they were not thinking about like digital transformation. Uh, they were forced to do uh, some type of digital transformation just to stay mm-hmm. alive because of the restriction that the pandemic enforced. Uh, so my thoughts would be like, okay, what what is your experience in those years? I'm pretty sure you you got like more work on your side, but on the uh, other thoughts that I have uh, is is about um, what you were saying. Like on the other side of a computer, right now, right? We are not in the same room. On the other side of the computer, there is a person, and that's while this is a computer mediated interaction, is still. Uh, uh, an interaction between two humans, and and I think probably, especially the new generation, uh, needs to uh, kind of be trained of how to properly interact, <laughs> even virtually. Just just because it's uh, I don't know, it's it's a different way to communicate, but it's, it's still a, an interaction between two humans beings. So I, I don't know if well, I don't know I, if I'm explaining them well, but it's you are. And I think one thing that I, I, I use this example a lot. Um, so I mentioned that I like, well, I, that I did a corporate training position. I worked for a fast food restaurant all through high school and college, and then worked at their franchising office um, after graduation, kind of in that, that realm of my first job. But when I was working in the fast food restaurant, I was like the queen of the drive-through. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And one thing that I always felt was very fascinating, similar to how we're talking right now. I know you guys are people on the other end, but I can't see you. And we're not, we're not in the same room with one another. When you pull up to a drive-through speaker, not everybody, but there are some people that will treat you like you are below human while you're interacting with them over a speaker. They'll Mm. bark at you. Sometimes they'll swear at you. Sometimes they won't listen to you and they'll just drive ahead. But the moment that they get to the other side of the drive-through and you open up the window and they have to face you as a human, it's like night and day difference with Mm -hmm. a lot of people because suddenly they're faced with the fact that you are in fact a person. And I think some companies do a really, really great job of setting the culture of like cameras on when you're on meetings. So that helps with that visual input of the fact that there is somebody else on the other side. But I sense myself sometimes when I'm chatting with somebody like via Slack or Teams or whatever that may be, where I'm more quick to get frustrated with them because it's mm. just the, the text that's coming through or, you know, my generation specifically, 
we all grew up with IM and mm-hmm. learning how to like socialize with one another over AIM or, you know, uh, MSN chat. And you realized really quickly that you're going to say things to people in text messages, whether that's like Slack or email or things when you don't have that humanity and that face-to-face interaction attached to it, that you might think twice about otherwise, if you were in person and having to have that critical conversation face-to-face. And you're just, you're right. When, especially younger people that are coming in or older people that haven't had to interact with people via technology at this level, there's a disconnect there that we haven't worked through. And there is a different nuance to communicating and building relationships in that way than there is when you do it in person. And a lot of the people that I've talked to, and this is completely anecdotal, but a lot of the people that I've talked to who actually want to be back in the office and want to be face-to-face are those people who have just graduated college and don't know what it's like to work in an office. And they don't know anything other than having to do stuff remote and be in their house. And suddenly they've gone from college where they were living in a dorm with people around them all the time to like their first big girl or big boy apartment. And then they're off in their, their second room as their office and they're not interacting with people. They're the ones that are really, really missing that interaction. My dad, who's a boomer, he doesn't care. He'd be happy to work from home. For like, <laughs> yeah. He probably can't there. stand the people in the office anymore. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't want that commute. Um, so I think that that's really interesting nuances that like people that grew up with technology and have learned how to interact with people that way are a little bit more aware, I think, of some of those traps that we can get in with like digital communication than maybe other people are. And, you know, when you go out to TikTok and you watch, it's all these people talking about, you know, like millennials or um, Gen Z talking about how they're afraid that their boss hates them because their boss just sends a K in a chat. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, those things and those relationships matter. And if we don't figure out how to reproduce them in our new new way of doing business, I think there's going to be something that's left to be desired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as we as we kind of think about the the digital workspace or the virtual workspace do you again just from your opinion your experience do you feel that we are going to be able to dive further into the virtual workspace things like uh what meta is presenting and saying hey in the next you know 10 years every meeting is going to be virtual and everyone's going to be meeting there with a headset and all that stuff do you think that that can actually be a feasible outcome, even if it takes 20 years? Or do you think people are, are going to refrain and say, well, if I have to do all of my meetings with a, with a Facebook headset on, I might as well just go in and, and, and commute the 20 minutes to my office? I, there <laughs> That's a really hard question for me. Um, I know people today that are embracing the metaverse and working to bring that into their environment to try and combat some of what I just talked about. So being able to find ways to have, you know, two hours a day where a team wears their metaverse headset so that they can feel like they're in a shared working environment to have some of the benefits that come from like ad hoc side conversations when you're in office together. Um, I don't necessarily see us five years from now, everybody wearing headsets all day long and having those conversations or, you know, like having every interaction be done in the metaverse like that. Um, 
I think there's still enough people that strive that or like strive for that face-to-face conversation and interaction with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could very much be wrong about that. Um, there's a quote and I'm trying to remember how it, it went exactly, but it's kind of this idea that we always, um, we overestimate the amount of change that can be done in a year or two years, but we underestimate how much can be done over time collectively over a longer period of time. So from that standpoint, I could be eating my words a couple of years from now and things could look drastically different than they do. But I think right now we're living in a bit of the world of extremes. And I think we're going to see things level back out to a happy medium. And then that's where we're going to probably start to see the progress of, of moving towards virtual reality for everything. Mm. Um, I think COVID showed us though, that there is the, the ability for, you know, one of those black swan events to come and completely redirect the entire world and and the the trajectory that we think we're on. Um, Mm -hmm. So I could be naive in thinking that there's always going to be this element of human interaction and human touch, but I think that our nature as social creatures is really hard to fight. Emma, you just used a coded term with the black swan that I was very, very fond of. And if you can toss an anti-fragile in there anytime soon, I'll be even more impressed. Um, but as, as you look at these things and, and, and we continue to kind of grow forward and, and, and really kind of reanalyze the idea of business, if someone is coming into the business world, shifting, changing, if you're starting a new business, anything like that. Uh, what would you, what would you want to, to kind of focus your skill set on? Like what's advice for someone kind of going through maybe a big change or kind of going into that? What would you really want someone to identify as having if you were to work with them on a team or, or, you know, hire them or something like that? I think the biggest, um, that I can suggest to anybody and that I like I'm trying to lean into in my my new realm as well is asking a lot of questions and um like again kind of that thirst for knowledge and like learning Mm -hmm. um (laughs) I was thinking about this the other day because um my entire life I've always been a big question asker Mm -hmm. and um I actually had a teacher in middle school who told me that asked me if I had ever been told if I that I asked too many questions because I do. And um, that hmm. moment was like one of those things where in eighth grade, I kind of felt like, well, wait a second. I thought I'd always heard that there's no such thing as a dumb question. And mm-hmm. I'm really, really, really glad that I didn't listen to that eighth grade English teacher who I can still picture. Um, <laughs> that, that ability to ask questions and um, like figure things out through conversation and interaction with other people has led to so many wonderful things for me in life. Um, And sometimes like even just asking yourself the question of like, well, why not? Why can't I go try this? Or like, what's the worst that's going to happen if I do this? Um, I feel like that, like that, that thirst for knowledge and questioning things um, can take you really, really far in life. And um, so you know, when I'm looking for people that I want to work with and people that I think are going to help kind of drive what the future of work looks like and what our society looks like moving forward, it's going to be people that are open-minded, willing to ask questions and and ready to explore what those answers look like. Mm. 
that's that's super interesting, Russ, because one of the major thing I struggling when I teach is like I ask my students, "Do you have any question?" And that's that's always like the the classroom is 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 not answering or is not questioning me on anything I'm doing. It's almost like okay, you are you are like spreading this knowledge and we taking it as it is, but I'm sure. There's going to be some cases in which I'm not explaining the stuff the right way. And I would love a question because it's an opportunity for learn for everybody. Plus, you know, everybody comes from a different background. So the question can even make more knowledge in the room. But it's uh, it's hardly to find, right? It's probably one of the skills that people like tend to shy away from is I don't want to ask myself. I don't want to ask question to not embarrass myself or like to not look stupid and stuff like that. But in the end, it's, it's, it's actually the opposite. It's like, you're almost like you are not interested in what's happening if you don't you know, ask any question. Well, and I, I will tell like customers, and when I was teaching, I would tell people this too. Like, if you have a question, chances are three other people in the room have it yeah. too, but nobody mm -hmm. else is asking it. Yeah. So like, you're doing everybody a favor if you ask that question, because just what you said, maybe I didn't explain it the right way. And just because it made sense in my mind doesn't have yeah. to mean that it makes sense to you. So That's let's have like a conversation and a dialogue about what that looks like um, and get to the point where we all have a common understanding then. Because yeah, if you if you have a question, someone else doesn't get it either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that that response, and I think that that's a awesome way to kind of wrap up our, our conversation here with with all of the different elements of change. Um, but Emma, before we we say goodbye, what's the best way someone can get a hold of you or follow you on socials? I know you mentioned a couple of them. I want to make sure that we get those out there too. Yeah, so I'm very active on LinkedIn, TikTok, and YouTube. Um, so I have a video series called Leading Change on YouTube, and you can just find me by searching Emma Roloff. Um, the one tricky part is, is that my Emma only has one M. So it's E-M-A, and then my last name Roloff is R-O-L-O-F-F. -F. Um, so I just started that new series, Leading Change, there. So you'll see a couple of episodes. Um, and then again, Emma Roloff at LinkedIn, um, you'll be able to find me. I post there um, pretty frequently with a lot of crossover stuff from my, my YouTube and my TikTok. And then I always feel a little silly because there's a story behind it for, for a different day. Um, my handle on TikTok is Transformation Princess. So you can find me there or searching um, digital transformation and looking for me. Um, I, I come up pretty regularly for that as well. Perfect. And we will we will post all of that information in the description below as well. So uh, anyone, please, as as you can clearly tell, Emma's awesome and this conversation has been great. So make sure to, to follow her along her journey because I know it'll be beneficial. Emma, truly, thank you for your time. I've, I've loved every bit of this and I hope it's been enjoyable for you too. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening. And remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today.